Welcome to episode four of the Articulate BJJ podcast. I've had my schmook and my coffee and I'm ready to go this morning and drop some knowledge. Um, today we are going to discuss uh, teaching and learning, which is um, obviously not just crucial for martial arts, but um, in edu- in the education sector. Um, as a as a qualified teacher, um, a secondary teacher, um, with a, a degree in philosophy and um, English and postgrad studies um, in teaching and learning, um, I'd like to come come at that perspective today. Um, I'm not talking from a subjective perspective of like, oh, you know, I like this teacher because he's a nice guy, or I like this person because um, they've got a great personality. That is what we would consider something subjective. Um, there's no right or wrong in that argument, really. Um, and I want to steer away from that. I would like to explore objective uh, aspects of teaching and learning today that you should be looking for in your coaches and in your teachers or that you should be looking to exemplify as a coach or a teacher. Um, we're then going to go a little bit into what you as the learner, someone that is a student or someone that is learning something, should be looking to do. So without any further ado, uh, let's get into it. The first area that I feel a teacher, a good teacher needs to approach is when they promote curiosity and they facilitate inquiry within the learning environment, be that a classroom, the gym, wherever. Um, Your teacher needs to be modeling what discovery looks like. This means that they are not complete in their learning. Um, I know that when I'm in the classroom, whether that's with uh, 13-year-olds or 20-year-olds or even 45-year-olds and older, I cannot as a 29 year old male um come to come at them from an angle of saying yes i know everything i have done everything to do so is um not only arrogant but it also creates a suspension of belief in your student where they can now no longer trust what you have to say you have to be able to admit your shortcomings or you have to be able to admit what you're working on By modeling discovery and modeling the correct learning behaviors as a teacher, you can better show and demonstrate to your students what they should be doing in their own study or in their own learning. Let's say um, in my training, I'm working on arm bars. However, I'm coming into a section of teaching where um, I'm showing arm bars to my students. I may that perfectly clear to my students hey guys you know this is something that I've been working on these are details that I've found work really well for me however these things might work differently for you Um, I encourage you to experiment with that and so on and so forth so I really need to be clear to my students and give them intellectual respect here um In philosophy, we call this the principle of charity, um, and it has different implications there. But in a teaching perspective, I have to show the principle of charity by granting this person 
the ability to think for themselves. I have to say, hey, you're a smart thinking individual. This is what I've been working on. Why don't you try it? I trust that you're smart enough to do it yourself. But here's what works for me. I think that this is crucial. And, um, you know, I've worked I've worked with adolescents who are disengaged in their learning, have learning needs, high learning needs. And I've found that this is really, really important. If a student can look at you and go, hey, this person is still learning and these are what the strategies that they're using as well. Maybe I should use them. That is a very authentic context to come from. And you have to model that for your student. The next thing, uh, and we're still talking about promoting curiosity and facilitating inquiry for your students, is encouraging research and exploration inside and outside the classroom. When I talk about inquiry, what I mean is essentially wider exploration of the topic. I need to make sure that my students are actually genuinely curious about what they're looking at. This means that they are looking at something in terms of it being a meaningful context for them. Hey, I'm really struggling as a student um, to find out how to get out of a guillotine. As a teacher, if a student is saying that to me, I need to encourage them to find ways to solutionize. They have to find their own solution here. Those are the ones they will remember. I can immediately just go, oh, yeah, no problem. This is the technique to get out of a guillotine. They may just forget that because they ha- there's no value on that. Of course, if they go, they take that learning on board, they take that technique I've just showed them, and they apply that over hours and hours of training in their own training, that is inquiry. I'm going to take what my teacher just showed me about that guillotine escape, and I'm now going to try it in the classroom or in the gym they're going to find out whether that works or not. That is what an inquiry is. They've taken that on board themselves and they've tried to put it into their own learning. They've found the implications of that. They've looked at results and then they come to some conclusion about their initial hypothesis. That is super important. Um, I, I, can't, I can't really uh, express in enough to you how important it is to make sure your students are doing this on their own. You have to be encouraging of these students to go and watch things online that are going to help them. If I just say, oh, you know, YouTube's a great resource, of course they're going to come back with whack-ass techniques that we all want to roast in in jujitsu. You know, hey, I saw something on YouTube, uh, can I try it on you? You know, it's it's at the point where it's a meme now. I have an issue there where the problem is you need to direct them specifically to things that they should be watching. That might mean saying, hey, I have this DVD or this is a DVD you should look at. This is a YouTube resource you should look at. Specific things. Be specific. The next thing I'd like to go on to is, and it almost seems obvious, but knowing your learner. Um, As a teacher, you have to know who you have in front of you. This starts out by a knowing your students names, of course, but also knowing where they come from. You have to understand the kind of world that your student lives in and inhabits on a daily basis. If you're not doing this, you are not going to be able to create meaningful context in the learning for them. 
if I know that I have an engineer um, uh, in the classroom or I know that I have a uh, skateboarder, a surfer, um, a, 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 karate, a karate practitioner, all of these people have different contexts and different worlds that they understand. So if I can identify those and I can pull out things from those contexts and relate them to, to BJJ and the learning that they are doing there, it's going to be far more meaningful. You're going to see them understand it better and you're going to see them practice in a more applied way. So in saying that, you need to identify the needs and goals of your students. Not everyone comes into a BJJ gym into a classroom, um, onto the mats for the same reason. Everyone has their own goals, they've got their own needs, and they learn in different ways. As a teacher, you have to identify these in a very quick fashion. Um, you know, the faster you do this, the faster you can fast track their learning. Like I said, um, you know, every person lives in their own kind of context and different world. No two people are really the same in how they learn information. So if I can identify that quickly, I am able to fast track their learning. I'm also able to help them set and achieve goals that uh, they, they have for themselves or expectations that they have from their BJJ. Metacognition is a word um, that is used quite a lot in modern education. Um, but essentially all it means is thinking about how you think, right? Meta meaning behind, or in this case, um, the thinking, and cognition also meaning like how you think. So thinking behind the thinking. What this means is learning how you learn, right? I need to show my students, and I also have to understand for myself how they best learn. So... I need to practice metacognition in the classroom. Is my student a more kinetic learner? Does my student uh, listen well? You know, uh, audio audio uh, learning is just one uh, aspect of this. Maybe orally, um, they they can express ideas better than they can demonstrate them. Maybe they physically can demonstrate things better than they can explain it. All of these little nuances are on you as the teacher to understand. So you have to be able to deliver information in a variety of ways that meet the needs of these students and meet the ways that they learn best. So I might have a class where a student can uh, listen to my instructions and perfectly execute the technique, whereas someone needs to see it demonstrated, someone needs to have it demonstrated on them personally, um, you know, then I've also got, uh, you know, students who have never done a martial art before and have very little understanding of their physicality. I might be literally putting my hand on them and directing their body to where it should be and helping them to position themselves. You have to be able to deliver these things to all students all the time. It's a hard job. Um, that's maybe one of the hardest things. In a classroom context, um, you can imagine how how much more challenging that is to do. Um, at least on the mats, you have all of these different kinesthetic ways, uh, oral ways um, to be able to deliver that information. The classroom environment is very sterile for a kinesthetic learner, meaning someone who likes to move. 
That's why historically um, students with um, attention deficit disorders or highly active students really struggle in formal learning environments where they have to sit down for long periods of time. But that's a story for another day, I guess. Uh, the next thing is also having reasonable expectations of your students. Like we've mentioned twice already before, your students come from different walks of life. If my students uh, live two hours away, but they've decided to commit this time to getting to class, and they happen to be five minutes late, I'm not going to chew them out for it. I'm not going to give them a hard time. I'm just going to accept that that is one of the things that... Um, this student has literally made a big sacrifice to be here for. On the other hand, um, if there's students who don't want to compete and they're just hobbyists, I need to recognize that and still find a way to make their training engaging, make their learning successful, and I need to meet their expectations and their goals of what they want out of their training. You have to be able to recognize all these things. Not everyone wants to be an ADCC champion. Not everybody is a hobbyist. And you have to be able to provide a service to each of these students individually. They've come to you seeking something specific and you have to be able to deliver that. Otherwise, you don't deserve uh, the fees that they're paying you. Um, you know, it's different in a, in a secondary school context. These students have to be there. Um, and unfortunately, you see that in the attitudes of some of them. And you still have to engage those students as well. I can't just say, oh, well, you, I know you don't want to be here. You're only here because you have to be. So uh, let's just scrap your learning. We still have to find a way to do that. At least in a gym, you know that everyone is paying to be there because they want to be there. They want to be there because they have a goal in mind or they have a reason for being there. And you have a responsibility to them to meet that. If you're not doing that, you are not a good teacher. You are someone who is just taking money for the hell of it and then focusing on the people that you want to focus on. That is not good. That is extremely unprofessional, actually. Um, unfortunately, we do see a lot of that happening. Um, kind of internationally, we, so, we still see um, gyms being outed as McDojo's um, and unfortunately, a lot even higher level gyms just kind of disregarding a certain kind of demographics in their gym. You should be able to teach and deliver a service to every kind of walk of life. You might be well recognized for producing high-level competitors, but if you can't meet the needs of the hobbyist, you're not a great teacher. Uh, let's move on to some of the behaviors that as a teacher you should be looking to um, deliver. So the first thing that I can think of here um, that applies universally is not to magnify individual merit or have favorites. If as a teacher you are showing bias, you need to understand how that looks from your learner's perspective. If I as the learner am putting in tons of effort, but all I see is my teacher gravitating over towards one particular student that they like all the time, this is just not good. Um, that Everyone else in the room is going to feel unmotivated by that. Um, oh, well, why do I need to put the effort in if this person just gets all the attention? Their learning is going disregarded. They might have questions that they need answering from you, and they need the same level of support. You have to be equal as a teacher and be objective in how you approach your students. 
I cannot just say to one student, hey, you're doing awesome with that. Okay. Unfortunately, what that does, even if they are doing great, you have to measure how much you magnify that merit. If I say that about that student, other learners are going, oh, well, I'm not doing it great. And that can be a big knock to their confidence. And it also leads into a point that we're about to cover in fostering an environment where students feel confident to make mistakes, ask questions and take risks. If I keep magnifying the merits of one student, everyone else in that class is now not only going to try and just model and create a uniform behavior just to try and get that praise, but it's also not going to foster an environment that allows students to explore their own individual interests. It doesn't, they don't feel confident enough to explore, make mistakes and take risks because they look at that modeling and they go, oh shit, I now have to act like that if I want to get praise. And it becomes praise-based rather than learning-based. Um, you can see the problem with that. If everyone's just chasing recognition and praise, um, we're ending up with a system that is not really conducive to good learning. It's conducive to um, a bunch of bootlickers and ass kisses um, in your gym. And people who are going to be trying to impress you as the teacher just to get your praise, just to get a promotion, um, you know, just to try and get good grades, whatever it is. That is, that's the first sign of a, not a good learning environment, really. You have to provide opportunities for feedback for your students. There are two types of feedback that are really crucial for students. Um, these are broken down into summative and formative forms of feedback. Summative feedback is the idea that a student performs an activity or task and then we summarize how they've done in that task at the end. Formative feedback is different to that. Formative feedback is when a student is performing a task, we give them some information or feedback during that process that helps them to change their performance going forward. Both of these um, types of feedback have really valid places in the learning process and you as a teacher need to identify uh, the positions and the opportunities to provide this feedback. You have to structure your classes, um, your teaching and learning in a way that there are ample opportunities for both types of feedback for your students. This might be uh, an example where you're drilling you have your students drill a particular move and you are observing how they execute the technique. I might watch a student execute the technique and then provide them with some summative feedback. Hey, that was good. However, you could change this one detail here. See how that works for you. That is a form of summative uh, feedback, which is okay. Formative feedback in that situation would be better. Hey, I saw you do this. Now let's work through it. And I want you to add this detail and then observe them do it again and watch them as they do it and provide feedback throughout that process. Watch them make the changes, see if it worked, and then we can provide summative feedback after some formative feedback. You can synergize the two and create a really strong synthesis of feedback and create loops of feedback that your students can then model with each other. Hey, you know, that choke was good,
but maybe try and make this angle. That is really good because you don't have to have eyes on a whole class of 30 students and provide feedback to all of them if you're already modeling that for students. They will be able to start doing that themselves. I thought that choke was tight, but let's try and do this detail to make it tighter. You're making students self-aware of the feedback process so that they're able to put it in practice as well. The next thing that you also need to be doing with your students is explaining the intentions of what you're teaching and the outcomes of the learning. If you go into a classroom, you need to remember that, well, you need to know your learners. It comes back to one of our earlier points. We need to start there. You have to appreciate that these are other thinking humans and you're not the font of all knowledge. Like I said before, you have to be able to tell your students that you are intellectually humble. That's going to model that for them. Hey guys, I don't know everything, but this is what I'm hoping we can get out of today's session. We're going to work on front headlocks and back takes, for example. By the end of this lesson, I would like you to understand the dynamics of a headlock and executing a good headlock and how to transition to the back. I've just outlined my intentions and the outcomes for that lesson. Don't treat people like children, okay? Even if they are children, they are still intellectually capable of understanding where a lesson is going to go. I can't just come in and go, we're doing this. I don't need to explain why, just do it. Essentially, at that point, we're just getting into a state of rote learning. There's no critical thinking being engaged there. There's no inquiry there. Um, you have to steer away from those as a good teacher. By explaining my intentions and the outcomes for each lesson, I'm able to create structure. Students understand that I'm teaching them part of something larger than just the single isolated uh, lesson or the single hour. And that's part of having a strong curriculum as well. We haven't mentioned that, but I'm just going to assume that if you're any kind of good teacher, you do have a curriculum in place. Um, if you don't, just before you even listen to the rest of this, go back and structure a curriculum. It's impossible to teach without that. You cannot just be coming in on a day-to-day -day basis and going, hey, this is what I feel like teaching. That is very amateurish learning. Um, in fact, it, it, it's counterproductive to learning. Rant aside, um, let's get back to our next point. I need to, and I mentioned this earlier, but I'll go into a little bit of detail here. We need to foster an environment where students feel confident to make mistakes take risks and ask questions. I've mentioned it again because it's worth emphasizing. If you do not have this kind of environment in your gym, uh, in your classroom, you're going to see a very stunted version of what learning is. If I come into my gym and um, as a learner and my coach um, is kind of not making me feel welcome there, um, I feel ridiculed when I make mistakes. Um, other learners maybe um, magnify errors that I'm making. I am not going to feel safe in that environment to try and experiment and learn. Um, and as a result, I'm going to kind of shut down and I'm just going to do whatever I'm told, um, do nothing more than that, and just 
like I said earlier, go back to seeking the praise of my teacher. Because if they say it's right, then then that's all I should be doing. Um, it, it's not it's not conducive to good inquiry or research or or just becoming an independent learner. I, I need to recognize that these things are not uh, you 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 can't replace these things as a teacher without these aspects and paying attention to them you are not going to be an effective teacher you are going to be essentially delivering a very limited service and you cannot justify what your students are paying you for if you do not have these kinds of things in place are they, are you just are they just paying for you to uh, have mat space there because if that's the case then 75 dollars a week or even $90 a week is completely unjustifiable if you're not providing a service with that value. The value you add as a teacher must be the apex of your gym. Otherwise, they can go to mats anywhere and just roll between open mats and, and like you're not providing any extra value there. You have to respond to current approaches that have shown success. You know, we have to look at athletes that are doing well we have to look at what they are doing well and how they execute technique and then we have to model that for students you can't be dogmatic dogma in the classroom um, I mean it's been around forever so you know we come from uh, industrial age of learning where classrooms were just a place to hold your students while you went on a factory shift but we've moved away from that and your gym should certainly not be a place where you get punished for making a mistake. Tradition serves us no purpose if it has no productive end. I can't just teach the way that I was taught because tradition dictates that. If the techniques that teaching used were terrible, why would I keep doing them? It makes no sense to keep a traditional approach if they don't serve a productive end for my students. I hope that makes sense. That is super important. This is something that is uh, viral in martial arts. This idea of tradition, you know, bow to your sensei, bow to your master, um, listen to everything they do, don't question them. Their word is, uh, you know, the end. The buck stops with them. These, there's certain traditions that, uh, that have no harm and there are some that really harm learning and often tend to um, create almost cult-like behaviors in gyms. Um, let's be honest, we see it in jiu-jitsu. We're no different to other martial arts in that case. We need to cull these if we want to innovate, if we want to be good teachers, we have to remove this. It can't just be, oh, well, I'm the master here, I'm the teacher, so my word goes. That just does not work, and it, it, it serves no purpose. I can't just keep doing something because that's the way it was always done. It's not logical. You have to be logical in your approach here. You have to be innovative, and you have to cull the things that don't work. I'm not saying that I come out of every lesson feeling like I've done all these things, and that's part of being a reflective and organic teacher. I need to think, hey, have I met those outcomes that I set for today? I had this intention. Did my students all learn this thing? I can't just go, 
well, I'm going to teach this the way I learned it. And if they don't get it, they don't get it. That is not good um, by any stretch of the imagination. It's not easy to be a good teacher. It's really hard. It takes constant work. It requires you to be fully switched on and conscious of every person in the room every time you go in there. There should be, I mean, there's not enough respect for teachers in any aspect, but it's so, so important. Um, I, I hope that some of these points can sink in for you as a learner and as, it, as the teachers out there listening, um, I hope this has been informative. As a learner, these are the things that you should be looking for in your teachers. And as teachers, these are the things that you should look to exemplify just an object, in an objective, matter-of-fact way. I don't understand um, how there are people in the two, 2020 who still open a gym just to make money off of people. However, that still happens on a, well, we see it in, everywhere in the world. Y you have to be providing the best possible service to people. Otherwise, they're going to find somewhere else to go. They're going to find somewhere where the teaching is better. They're going to find places where they can train um, that don't have these dogmatic places in uh, dogmatic practices in place. Anyway, rant aside, um, I hope that this has been useful information for you. Um, just like we've said before, if you've liked this podcast, um, please give it a like, maybe share it. Um, head over to articulatebjj.com and check out some of our reviews on other products. Um, or some of our other writing about this topic. Um, I've covered this topic tons in previous articles. But yeah, um, I appreciate appreciate you for listening, and uh, I'll see you next time. Oops.